certainty in life that I'd like to begin with, and that is that we all suffer, uh, or we will suffer, or we know somebody who is suffering or has suffered. That's one of life's certainties. Whether the suffering is in the form of physical pain, or loss of a loved one, some catastrophe, uh, the list is almost infinite of the different ways that evil and suffering occur in this world. Now in the academic sphere, um, evil is used as a, an argument against Christian belief. And the idea is, of course, that a God who is all-loving, all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing, would not allow such evil to occur in his creation. I call that the philosophical problem of evil. I spent a lot of my career working in that area. You might also say there's a theological problem of evil related to the philosophical because uh, the more theological insight you can bring, maybe the more progress you can make in getting insight into why God allows evil. It may or may not be all able to be settled uh, at the philosophical level. But basically at the philosophical and theological levels then is where I'd like to, to, to pose this discussion uh, of the problem. Although you can think also of a couple other levels. I would call one the pastoral level. How do we uh, care for and counsel those who are suffering in our congregations or other venues in which we minister and serve. Another would be for ourselves, a personal problem of evil. How do I relate myself, position myself in my relationship to God in the midst of any suffering or misfortune that I experience? How do I think about that? But my earlier point that at the philosophical and theological level, we need to get as clear and helpful and insight as we can because that in turn will guide pastoral practice or our own personal response when evil and suffering come. So that's the level I'd like to speak to. And just briefly, the, the idea that um, there's evil in the world per se is not the big problem. It's the idea that there's evil that makes no sense often called in the literature gratuitous evil or pointless evil, meaning evil that is not necessary to serve a greater good. Uh, sometimes we say, well, you know, some goods are such that you have to suffer a little bit um, and the good comes out of it is worth it. For example, a small child might get a minor burn on the oven but will learn henceforth not to touch really hot things. We say, well, that kind of justifies that. That's the way we learn. So pain is a mechanism for learning and so on. That's not the big problem. The problem are, is really those evils, those forms of suffering that seem to serve no point, have no justification. And we really believe deep down that the world would have been better off not to have included those things. That's a truly pointless and gratuitous evil. So I think it's a common perception that there are such evils in our world, evils that on the face of it look pointless. 
The problem then becomes with the concept of God that, that people take to suggest that God would not allow pointless evils. If he's omnipotent, he'd be able to uh, arrange the world with his power. If he's omniscient, he'd know how to. If he's all loving and good, he would want to. So there should be no evils occurring in God's world that serve no point, have no purpose. I actually think that um, the, the religious and theistic answers to the problem of evil uh, make a little progress, but not sufficient progress in addressing that because most of them sort of take the bait. And the bait is, we don't see a point, and so the whole enterprise of theodicy engaged in by religious and theistic people, uh, the enterprise of theodicy is an attempt to, say, to point out what the good is that justifies the evil. But unfortunately, um, there's always counterexample. When you say, well, here, here's the good, of, great good of character building through hardship, through sacrifice, through suffering, maybe character is built. I think that's true enough. There's always some insight in, in these religious answers. But the counterexample is that the infant who died a terrible death too early to have a chance to build any character. The counterexamples are always, you know, the counterweight to thinking that the theodicies are triumphant and totally successful. I think what we should do, rather than spending our energy trying to always point out the good that some evil must be connected to, is rather to say, let's examine our picture of God and His purposes and His providence. Wouldn't this God, who's Trinitarian and relational in His very being, create a wide range of, of uh, possible outcomes for free, created persons? And a wide range, maybe, of possible outcomes for the way nature behaves. So that those persons may realize some negative possibilities. There were just possibilities. No evil ever had to occur in the, in the human realm. But it did. We broke relation with God. We sinned. We uh, do immoral things toward our neighbors. So in the human realm, it might have been constant, unbroken relation with God. But it's not. So in a range of possibilities, in that whole range, some negative ones were realized. Not because they were necessary to a greater good, but a great gift, a great gift of free will, uh, was really the sort of thing that demanded a wide range, that God step back and give us opportunity for a response. Because only, only free response can be at the basis of true relationship. So a God who in his own Trinitarian life is relational um, and interpersonal and wants to have relational and interpersonal relations with finite, rational, uh, created beings, that makes sense to me. Analogously in nature, I think God lets nature run largely of its own accord. And sometimes when nature runs of its own accord, it runs counter to human agendas and um, interests. Uh, we get cancer or some catastrophe happens. And there's a lot of strangeness, I agree, to our, to our situation that we live in a very frail condition. And yet in this frailty of our physical life, there are creational goods, there are incarnational possibilities, there are sacramental possibilities. 
So it is a little strange. But, you know, uh, God himself pronounced creation very good and didn't um, think it an offense to become bonded forever with a rational, physical um, human being, Jesus of first century Nazareth, so that now humanity is taken up into the Godhead. He knows our struggles. He knows the kinds of suffering in the human condition. And humanity is now with God forever. And he's just the first fruits. It's already begun to happen. But intellectually, in this world, addressing the problem of evil and suffering, I think our energies are better spent looking more at the purposes of God for drawing us into the divine life, for making us finite, physical, frail creatures, um, rather than always trying to connect in a kind of a one-to-one -one correspondence. Here's an evil. I need to point out some good. I just think that's a little forced, and, uh, and, and the template that we're trying to use just will always find some counterexample that breaks it. Um, I would say about the issue of gratuitous evil then, we live in a world in which gratuitous evil is possible, pointless evil, evils that don't serve a greater good is possible because that's part of the wide range of freedom. So I'm not going to spend my energy trying to prove there, that no evil is gratuitous. Rather, telling those whom I serve, those whom I minister to, I'd like to communicate to them that given that we live in a world where, where seemingly pointless evils can happen and, and, and sometimes do, God is the master of working with what happens, bringing good out of what happens. Not that he caused it or willed it to happen in order, in order to connect it with some good, but given that it did happen, it probably would have been better had it never happened, some evil, some case of suffering. But given that it did, I think the best uh, translation of uh, Romans 8.28 uh, along these lines is not that all things work together so much, but that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him.